Let's pray one more time before we start the message. Yeah, dear Heavenly Father, we just lift you up at this time, Lord. I pray that you just use me as your instrument, Lord, to just speak your words to, to this church, Lord. I pray that you give me the boldness and courage to, to truly convey the message that you really want us to learn today. We pray all these things in your name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. It's too close to my face. Yeah, so, you know, we're nearing Christmas time, and Christmas time is usually all about Jesus, right? It's all about Jesus. But I think we um, overlook a certain guy who came before Jesus as the forerunner, and his name is John the Baptist. And John the Baptist, six months older than Jesus, also the cousin of Jesus, though not as important as Jesus, he was very, very crucial to the ministry of Jesus and to the, to the whole story of um, the Christian faith. So, before, before I start this message, I want to... Sh- okay, there's the title, Weird But Servants. <laughs> yeah, so before I start the message, I want to um, share a little story that I found online that is going to set the tone for this message. So several years ago, a lady was attending a mission banquet, and she heard that the president of the Southern Baptist International Mission Board was going to be in attendance. So she was looking forward to meeting him. She had seen his picture before, but she didn't really know him by sight. So when she arrived, she began looking for him, but she didn't see him. The meal began and they were serving food and the drinks and still no sight of the president. So she leaned over and asked someone right next to her, I thought the Southern Baptist International Mission Board president was supposed to be here tonight. Is he, is he not? The person said, yes, he's right over there, and pointed to a man who was carrying a hand towel and a pitcher of water. It turned out that my, that lady had already seen him, but she had mistakenly thought that he was a waiter. You know, that's the kind of mistake that we ought to make in our Christian churches and ministries. Our churches are not about us being something, not the pastors, not the teachers, not the leaders, none of that. We are only servants that should be pointing to the Lord, to the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, we see this attitude modeled in the ministry of John the Baptist. In Matthew 3, 3.11, we find that John makes a very important statement, both about himself and about the Lord Jesus Christ. So the passage is Matthew 3.11. says, As for me, I baptize you in water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I and I am not fit to remove his sandals. And he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. You know, there's a very striking contrast in this verse. John first speaks about himself, and then he speaks about Jesus. He says, as for me, I baptize you with water for repentance. But then he says, but he, and there's a real emphasis. In the original Greek text, there shows a real contrast here. It says, but he is mightier than I, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. He says, I am one thing, but Jesus is a completely different thing. And I have one ministry, but he has a totally different ministry. And John makes it very clear here that he is just merely a humble servant. The humble servant of the powerful Savior, Jesus Christ. And we need to make sure we realize the same thing today. The same thing about ourselves and let's look at this verse and look at, look at this verse and see what God has to teach us through it. So I have two, two main points, and the, each of the main points have two subpoints. 
And the first main point is the ministry of the humble servant. You know, John says two very important things about himself here. He speaks of the ministry that God gave him, but also of his own humble importance compared to Christ. The ministry of the servant. John did recognize the ministry that God had given to him. He says, as for me, I baptize you with water for repentance. You know, John's ministry had been prophesied in the last book of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi. And it says, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. God said, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet. And Jesus tells us later here in the New Testament that John is that Elijah. John is the second coming of Elijah, who was foretold in the Old Testament. So God gave him the ministry of calling his people back to him, back to repentance and to baptize those who were coming. And as this chapter describes, God was using John to do this in a very great way. He was fulfilling the ministry that God had called him to. You know, every one of us should seek to do the same thing. If you are a Christian today, then God has called you to be a part of his ministry and in his kingdom. In the Middle Ages, one of the biggest misconceptions that plagued the church was the division between what came to be known as the clergy and the laity. There was one group of people, the professional priests, like the bishops, the pope, whoever they are, were supposed to do all the ministering. And then there was the lay people who were supposed to listen and receive all, receive all that ministry. But that was not how God intended the church to be, and that's not how God intended the people of um, the kingdom of Christ to be. In Ephesians 4, 11 through 12, he says that he gave to the church pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the service. And you know, this verse clearly teaches us that all of God's people are to serve. Pastors and ministers do not exist to do all the work of the ministry. But pastors and ministers exist to train the saints for the work of the ministry. So all of you guys are saints. That's amazing. First Peter 4 through 10 says, each one has received a gift, and we are to use that gift to minister to God's glory. So every Christian here, every Christian has a gift, and, is, and it is used to serve in God's kingdom's work. And this reminds me of, um, was, it, was it Guatemala? We went with a whole bunch of, um, we went with a whole bunch of uh, Korean uh, soldiers in Spark, and there was a guy, oh man, forget his name, but I know him as democracy because he says he likes democracy a lot. <laughs> Hezan, yeah, there we go, Hezan. Yeah, during, this, during one time we were going around sharing and he, was, he said like, I don't feel like, I don't feel worthy, like I don't think I could share the word of Christ or something, something along those lines. But I was thinking to myself, and I shared this with him, I said, no, that's completely wrong. You are worthy to share the, share the word of God. Just because you're not a pastor, that doesn't mean anything. Pastors and teachers, those are just titles. Each one of us have been equipped, and each one of us are able to do the ministry of God, to share God's love, to share God's message. And I told him, don't disqualify yourself from doing that, because God says you're worthy, and God has given you the ability to do so. And it's not just the pastors and ministers that are able to do this. So each one 
means you, if you're a Christian, you have something that God has called and gifted you with to do in the church. So one of the most important priorities of life should be finding that place of service that God has for all of you. So how we see the church will determine our attitude about the church. Do we see the church as a cruise ship or a battleship? If we view the church as a cruise ship, then we will expect everyone to cater to our preferences and to serve us. But if we view the church as a battleship, then we will find our battle station and begin to serve. This is true not only for our new members, but for all of us. My friends, Jesus did not call us to join a cruise ship where the staff caters to our every desire and preference and to serve us. No, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is a battleship, and we are in an internally important war against the world, the flesh, and the devil. So guys, we are in a war. We are in a war against the powers of this world, anything that takes, away, that takes us away from the love of Jesus and takes our mind and, yeah, just takes our whole being away from Jesus. We're completely in war. And if you can't, if you can't tell that we're in this war, then I don't, I don't know where you guys have been. So it's time for every one of us to go into God's church and to hear the call, all hands on deck, and we each need to find our own battle station. You know, John recognized this importance of the ministry that God had called him to. And so we must also recognize that importance. If you do not have a regular place of service in the church, you guys need, that, you guys need to make it a top priority, a top prayer, prayer list on your, on your prayer, on your prayer list. You guys need to ask God, how can I serve the church? What are my gifts? And how can I better serve the community? How can I use my own God-given potential to maximize the, the kingdom of God? So my second point, second sub-point, is the attitude of the servant. But as important as John knew that his ministry was, he knew that this was not all about him. He was only a humble servant, and all of us are just servants. He, said, he says in uh, Matthew 3.11, He who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I am not worthy to remove his sandals. John was saying the focus of his ministry is not me. I am not anything here. You know, we've all known people who are supposed to be servants on behalf of others. But, some, but somehow they ended up thinking that, that they were in charge, that it was all about them. Like, for example, on an airplane, the steward or stewardesses have the responsibility to distribute the food and the drinks to passengers. Those food and drinks are not, 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 the, not the, what is it? It's not the steward or stewardess's foods, but it's the, it's the food of the airplane. But the airplane has given them stewardship over this food and of those things. And their duty is to distribute them properly. But perhaps you guys have seen one of them act like they own the airplane, as if they had bought the food and if they were in charge of it. You know, few things are nastier than a servant who makes things all about them. Because it's not about them. It's about their master or employer and the ones that are, are to be serving, not them. And our masters, our employer, our, our masters or employer is Jesus Christ himself. And the same thing is true of the kingdom of God. 
those of us who serve in his church have been given the responsibility of serving others in Jesus' name. You know, this is not our church. We are not in charge. And nothing stinks more than a servant of God who starts to make things all about them. Because it's not about us, John says. We are not worthy to remove his sandals. We are not anything but servants here. And we always need to remind ourselves to act like servants. You know, I read, the, I read this testimony of a young man who had a dramatic, dramatic salvation from drugs and immorality. And so right after he was saved, he was asked to go around to speak at a lot of churches. But he said that looking back now, he had probably got into it too quickly. And he realized that he became very self-centered and selfish about his ministry. It's, it was as, as if he were the star of what was going on and not Jesus Christ himself. And he said this point really hit home for him when he was invited to intern at a large church ministry. And he thought they were going to feature him as a speaker at their big college service. But instead, the very wise college minister had him stand backstage and pull the the cord to bring the curtain up and down. This young man said at first that it made him so, so angry. He thought that his skills were being wasted because he was co-signed to do this menial task of lifting the curtains. But as he was pulling that curtain cord, he said that the Lord convicted him. The Lord spoke to him and that his priorities in ministry were all wrong. That he, was becoming all, that he was becoming all about himself being in the spotlight and not focusing on the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, basically, I was trying to take the spotlight from Jesus. So this, this man, this young boy, or this, yeah, this young man, he, thought he, he started to think he was the star, and he forgot completely that Jesus was the only reason that he was able to do these tasks, and he forgot that Jesus is supposed to be the center of his ministry and not himself. And he was not the star, but Jesus is the star. So how many times do we do that in God's work? We are supposed to be humble servants, but we stick our egotistical big head into it and ruin it with our pride because we didn't get our way or we didn't get recognized or we didn't get thanks or attention or we didn't get the accolades that we thought we deserved. But who are we? We're nothing. We're nothing. We are servants of the Lord Jesus. Like John says, we're not worthy to remove his sandals. We're not worthy. But we are servants. We are his stewards, very much like John the Baptist is. So we need to make sure that we don't hijack the ministry of Jesus. But we need to point to Jesus. We need to, we need to point to Jesus instead. So our second, to my second point, the power of the coming Savior. So John knew that he was just a humble servant to whom God had entrusted a ministry to, and he was to be faithful to that. But John said this whole, but John said, and this whole verse turns on this, but he, there is another one who is greater, a greater person than I am, who will have a greater ministry than I do. He was saying that Jesus is greater than him, and his ministry was going to be greater than John's. So my second sub-point, the power of the coming Savior. I mean, the power of the coming Savior. Well, I said that. Okay, I forgot this, this sub-point is wrong, but 
Jesus, the second sub point is the superiority of Jesus. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I. And that's, that's who he's speaking of, and that's Jesus. But he was not speaking merely of the physical or even the spiritual power of Jesus who was coming, but of his superiority in every single way. He said that I am not worthy to remove his sandal, and there's nothing more than just power. And this is something more than just power. John is saying, this one is more holy than I am. Now, this is a crazy statement from John the Baptist, who was undoubtedly the most holy person at the time, other than Jesus. But Jesus would later say in Matthew 11, 11, Truly I say to you, among those, those born of women, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. So Jesus was saying on this earth, John the Baptist is the greatest of men. So you can imagine, if John was the greatest of men on earth, and he was humble enough to point to Jesus, this was a huge, huge deal. So among mere mortal human beings, Jesus was claiming that there was no one, no one greater and no one more holy than John. And yet John would say in Matthew 3 of, this, of, of the coming of Jesus that he was not fit to remove his sandal. He says, and he la- later says in Matthew 13 through 14, that I have need to be baptized by you and yet you come to me. So John was the greatest man who had ever lived. So Matthew 3, 13 through 14 says, And Jesus came from Galilee to Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and yet you come to me? So how could this be? How could that be? Because this coming one was no mere man. He was no mere mortal. But he was God himself who came to earth in human form. This is the whole story of the Bible right here. That God created us to know him. But in the Garden of Eden, mankind walked away from him in our sin, and we have continued to do that ever since. The story of the whole Bible springs out out of that. He chose a man, Abraham, to begin a special nation, Israel, to whom God would give his word, which would help us to understand our sin. He gave them sacrifices, which would help us to understand that a payment of blood could be made for our sins. And along the way, he promised through his prophets that a Messiah was, was coming and who would make that sacrifice for us with his own body, a once and for all payment to cancel out all our debts. And just at that right moment in history, the forerunner, John the Baptist, that God had promised in Malachi came. John the Baptist, who called the people to repentance to prepare for this Messiah, and then came Jesus, not just, not just another prophet, but God himself. So much more greater than the greatest man who had ever lived. That John, that greatest man, John the Baptist, wasn't even worthy to remove Jesus' sandal. And he, and he says as much. But the whole Old Testament had pointed to this moment when God himself would come down to this earth as a man to take our place and to die for us on the cross and buy us back to himself and change our lives forever. And that's the next thing that John tells us about him. Not only a superior person, but his life-changing power. My second sub-point. The life-changing power of Jesus. 
He says he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. John had said, as for me, I baptize you with water of repentance. But he, John said, emphasizing again, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. John was saying, I'm baptizing in this water, in this Jordan River, which is a symbol that, that there's no saving power in baptism, but it's just water. But he said this coming Messiah has the power to do something in your life that is just not symbolic, but he will immerse your life, not just in water, but in his Holy Spirit, who will come upon you and his spirit will change your life. John was saying, I am not the one who can change your life. This one who is coming after me, he will change your life through the Holy Spirit. You see this God, this God man or this man or this God that came in human form, Jesus Christ, came to earth and he did die on the cross for our sins. And then he rose again from the dead. And after that, he even appeared to over 500 people at one time. He spent some time teaching his disciples about how the Old Testament had pointed to him. And then he ascended back to heaven. And then he sent his Holy Spirit to his church on the day of Pentecost. And now whenever, whenever a person follows him as their Lord and Savior, he sends his Holy Spirit into their hearts and dwells in it forever and immediately. Ephesians 1 tells us that when you believe, you are sealed with his Holy Spirit. He comes into your life so that the Holy Spirit of God now lives in the life of every follower of Jesus Christ. That is life-changing. But what John wanted everyone to know is that we all need to understand today is that Jesus who does this, and is Jesus who does this, and Jesus alone. John was saying, I can't do this, and I can only preach and dunk you under some water. I can't save you. I can't send the Holy Spirit into your life. I can't change you. And following in the steps of John the Baptist, I say that we can't save you, we can't change you, but we do know someone who can. You know, in the book of Matthew, it doesn't record it there, but the Gospel of John tells us that when John the Baptist saw Jesus, he pointed to him and declared, Behold, the Lamb of, Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Then John 3 tells us that when Jesus then began his ministry, his people flocked to him instead of John. And you know, John's disciples were hurt by this. They said in John 26, all are coming to him. But John told them, you yourselves, you yourselves are my witness that I said, I am not the Christ. And then in one of the greatest verses of the word of God that I think every Christian should imitate, John said to them, he must increase, but I must decrease. He was saying, this is not about me. I am here to point the people to Jesus, not to myself. Listen, my friends, we ourselves can't do anything to save people or help people. But we know someone who can. And we are here just to point to that man, that man, Jesus Christ. So let me give you guys an example. Let's say that you're an assistant in a dentist's office, and someone comes in with a tooth that has been worn down or it's, or it's rotted, and it's about to break. But you show, the, you show them an x-ray of their tooth and tell them that the doctor is going to come in and he can fill that tooth in, and he can build it up, and you won't have to worry about it breaking down anymore or even losing that tooth. 
And then they get all excited and said, oh, thank you so much. You are so wonderful. I can't believe you can do all this for me. If you were the assistant, you'd be going, well, it's not really me. The dentist is going to do that all for you. I'm just the assistant. I'm just telling you about what he can do. So sometimes we get full of ourselves. And that's very much like our positions as God's servants. Oh, yeah, the, yeah. We have no power in ourselves to save or change anyone. There is nothing great about us. We are just his servants, his assistants, his messengers. We can tell people about him, but the soul-saving, life-changing power is not, is not given to us. But Jesus has that power. And all we can do is point people to him. All we can do is point people to Jesus. That's why we got to be that's why we got to be careful about telling people stuff like, you guys have to come to my church. We got the greatest pastor. We got the greatest praise band. We got the greatest community. Because honestly, guys, those things, they're great, but that's nothing. The only reason that, thing, that your church is great or the people are so great is because Jesus dwells in that church. Jesus is the one that gives meaning to that church. Jesus gives meaning to the community. And without all that, you guys have to realize we're nothing. And don't, yeah, don't act like we're anything. Like John the Baptist, we just need to point people to Jesus. So you and I and all of us, we need to exhibit that same, that same attitude that um, John the Baptist has. Ask for me, but he. The attitude that John the Baptist has. And I got a little bunch of sayings. Ask for me, I am not anything, but I know someone who is. As for me, I have no power to change your life, but I know someone who can. As for me, I did not love you from before the world began, but I know someone who did. As for me, I know what it's like to, I don't know what it's like to live in your shoes, and I don't know what it's like to have all the problems you have or the problems you're facing or the trials that you're going through, but I know someone who does. As for me, I do not live a perfect life. And you can see that but I know someone who did. As for me, I did not die on the cross for you. And I did not pay for every sin that you would ever commit. But I know someone who did. As for me, I did not rise from the dead in three days. But I know someone who did. As for me, I do not have the power to come into your lives and forgive your sins and change your life. But I know someone who can. As for me... I have no power to fix all the devils, all the evils of this messed up world. I, I don't have the power to face the devil, but I know someone who can. And one day, in the words of Revelations, he will return to this world, his face shining like a sun, riding a white horse, the armies of heaven behind him, who will slay all evil with one word from his mouth, and he will judge the living and the dead, and he shall reign forever and ever. As for me, I am not him, but praise God, Jesus is. It's not me, but it's not you, but it's he. It's not us, it's not this church, but he. As for us, we're nothing. But as for him, he is something. It's just like Psalm 115 says, Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to thy name give glory. I want to end this with a little story. Almost 200 years ago, there was a man named Charles Spurgeon, and he walked into a little Methodist church burdened with his sin. And he said that there was a lay preacher. A lay preacher would be like one of you guys who came up to speak. Filling in that day. And he was a shoemaker. 
And the reason the pastor couldn't be there was because there was a, a snowstorm that was preventing the regular pastor from speaking. And Spurgeon would later, later say that preacher was really stupid and one of the worst preachers that he had ever heard. He tried his best, but could only preach for 10 minutes. But that preacher did one thing right. He read Isaiah 45, 22, which says, Look to me and be saved, all ye ends of the earth. And he told the little congregation that day, Look to Jesus. Don't try to earn it or deserve it, but look to Jesus. Look to him who had died on the cross, who died on the cross for you. And Spurgeon said that preacher looked at him under the balcony there and said to him, Young man, you look very miserable. Look to Jesus. And Charles Spurgeon did look to Jesus that day, and his life was miraculously saved and changed forever. That is what John the Baptist is saying in our text here in Matthew 3.11. Don't look to me, but look to Jesus. He will save you. You know, John said it best. I can't save you, and I can't change you, and this church can't save you. And these people are not the answer for you. Well, we know someone who is. So let's look to Jesus. Let's pray. Yeah, dear Heavenly Father, thank you for just giving us um, John the Baptist as an example of how we can lead our lives, Lord. I pray that we can just take this attitude of humble servantship that John the Baptist showed and make this not about us, make this ministry not about us, make this church not about us, but remember who it's all about, Lord. It's about you. You are the only one that could change our lives. You're the only one that has the power to do the things that you can do, Lord. You are the, you are the rock. You are everything, Lord. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.